0: Good evening and welcome back to church. Uh, We had a wonderful marriage retreat over the weekend. And I know um, those of you that were not there, you had a wonderful Zoom service. I heard that Darren did a great job preaching the Word of God. It's great to be back home. I also heard that the singles had a wonderful time last Friday with the All New York devotional. Um, I got some great news for us, uh, for the preteen and teen parents. This year, the preteen and the teen camps will be taking place in the same venue, same venue, same week. And so uh, we're going to be announcing further details very soon. Registration is about to open, but I just wanted to give you a heads up that preteen and teen camp this year is going to be the same week at the same venue to save uh, a lot of um, our parents from going back and forth that have kids in both um, uh, in both camps. And so uh, please go ahead and start getting ready. The registration will be open soon. I have a lot to talk about tonight, so I'm just going to get right into it. Tonight is lesson three of managing God's money. And we've been talking about treasure principle for the last few weeks. And so tonight I'm going to talk about principle number four. This is just a reminder. Principle number one, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. Principle number two, God owns everything we are simply his money managers. Principle number three, our hearts always goes where we put God's money. And so tonight we're gonna to be talking about principle number four. But before I, before I get into that, I remember hearing about the affluence defense several years ago. When I heard it on the news, Sarah and I were
1: shocked and also very angry. A young man
0: by the name of Ethan Couch is an American. He was 16 years old. He killed four people while driving under the influence in June 2013 in Boston, Texas. Couch, while intoxicated and under the influence of drugs, was driving under restricted license and speeding in a residential area when he lost control of his vehicle, colliding with a group of people assisting another driver with a disabled SUV. Four people were killed in the collision and nine people were injured. The young man Couch was indicted on four counts of intoxication, manslaughter, for recklessly driving under the influence. In, June, in December 2013, George Gene Hudson Boyd sentenced Couch to 10 years of probation, subsequently ordering him to undergo therapy for long-term inpatient facility. Before sentencing, Couch's attorneys had argued that Couch had affluenza and needed rehabilitation instead of prison, arguing that Couch had no understanding of boundaries as his affluent parents had never given him any. Couch's sentence, judged by many as outrageously lenient, set off what the New York Times called an emotional angry debate that stretched far beyond the North Texas suburbs. His argument was, it's not my fault. I was irresponsible. Blame my family wealth. His lawyer argued he was too rich to tell the difference between right and wrong. Unfortunately for him, he later violated his probation at the age of 20, and he was sentenced to two years in prison. In a statement, Mothers Against Drug Driving said, two years in jail for four people killed is a great injustice to the victims and their families who have been dealt life sentences because of one person's devastating decision to drink and drive. Brothers and sisters, affluenza is a social disease caused by consumerism, commercialism, and rampant materialism. And its antidote is simple living. You and I know that material possessions don't make us happy. The average American shops six hours a week was spending less than 40 minutes playing with their children. By the age 20, we're told, we've seen one million commercials. The Super Bowl ads that just ended cost between six to seven million dollars each for a 30-minute segment. In 90 percent of divorce cases, arguments about money play a prominent role. You and I know that material possessions do not make us happy. All we need to do is ask Solomon. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. It's a chasing after the wind. And Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 10 to 12, clearly says, whoever has money never has enough. The verse 11 of that same chapter goes on to say, as goods increase, so so do those who consume them. The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of a rich man permits him no sleep. And obviously, we're very familiar with the passage where Job said, naked I came from my mother's womb. Obviously, naked the man comes from his mother's womb, and as he comes, so he departs. He takes nothing from his labor that he can carry in his hand. And so we ask, we ask ourselves the question tonight as we continue to talk about money. If affluenza is a disease, what is the cure? You and I are part of the most affluent country on the face of the earth, the United States of America. We are very affluent in this country compared to other parts of the world. In First Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse 17, Paul writes, command those who are rich in this present world. Remember, he's talking to Christians. He's talking to you and me. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. And so tonight, brothers and sisters, the principle number four is this. Giving is the only antidote To materialism. Giving. Is the only antidote. To materialism. Let's go back to First Timothy chapter 6. Beginning verse 17. Paul is saying here. We should not be arrogant. To put our hope in wealth. Because wealth is so uncertain. But rather you and I need to put our hope. In God. Who richly provides us with everything we need. For our enjoyment. Paul is talking to us today. We are rich living in America compared to most of the world. Notice how Paul brings in the treasure principle about laying up treasure in the coming age. The act of giving, brothers and sisters, is a vivid reminder that it is all about God. God's money has a higher purpose than our affluence, than my affluence. Giving is a joyful surrender to a greater person who has got a greater agenda. Giving, brothers and sisters, affirms that Jesus is indeed Lord. As long as you and I have something, I believe I own it. But when I give it away, I relinquish control. You relinquish control, power, and prestige. At the moment of release, the light turns on. My mind is clear. I recognize God as owner. And you and I simply as simple servants. We also must give our time. We also must share our wisdom. We also need to share our expertise. But these scriptures about giving is all over the scriptures. Giving, brothers and sisters breaks us free from the gravitational pull of money and materialism and possessing things. Martin Luther once said, I have held many things in my hands and I have lost them all. But whatever I have placed in God's hands, that I will possess. In Proverbs 22 verse 9, the Bible says the generous man will himself be blessed for he shares his food with the poor. The generous man will himself be blessed for he shares his food with the poor. Here's another quote from Tim Keller. He said, a a lack of generosity refuses to acknowledge that your assets are not really yours, but God's. Forgive my typo there. A lack of generosity refuses to acknowledge that your assets are not really yours, but God's. And so we should ask ourselves the question as we continue to look at this topic tonight. Why should we give? The Bible gives us several reasons why we should give. Number one, giving honors God. Giving honors God. Proverbs chapter three, verse nine says, honor the
1: Lord with your wealth, with the first
0: fruits of all your crops. Obviously, when this was written back in Old Testament times, like you've heard me say so many times, and like, we all know. They were basically an agricultural society. They were an agrarian society. And so God says, you know what? You need to honor me with your wealth. But I want the first fruits. In other words, the first basket of your harvest. Honor me with that. Now, obviously today, you and I, you know, we're no longer working on some farm. You know, we have a job to go to. Some of us work from home. Some of us teach. We go to an office building or somewhere and we earn, we earn money. We earn, we earn dollars. The principle still applies. That you and I need to honor God with the first fruits of our income, of our money. When you and I give, we're honoring God. That's what Proverbs teaches very, very clearly. Number two, the, rest, the second reason why we need to give
1: is because God Has been so generous to us. God gave to us first.
0: That's what John 3.16 talks about. But in Deuteronomy chapter 16. Verses 16 to 17. Deuteronomy 16. 16 to 17. It reads. Three times a year. All your men must appear before the Lord your God. At a place he will choose. At the festival of unleavened bread. The festival of weeks. And the festival of tabernacles. No one. Should appear before the Lord. Empty handed. Each of you must bring a gift. In proportion. To the way the Lord your God. Has blessed you. Remember. God gave them all these guidelines. And instructions. Way back in the Old Testament. Even before the temple was built. Now, after Solomon built the temple three times a year, all the men made that pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And I find this very interesting because God said to them, do not show up, do not appear before me empty-handed. They needed to come with something because in their giving, they were honoring God. He says, each of you must bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord your God has blessed you. In other words, based on the blessings that God had poured out on them, on their crops, they they needed to bring something in proportion to that. In other words, it was not equal for everybody. Those who were blessed with more brought more when when they showed up before God during these festivals. And those who were blessed with less showed up in proportion with what God had given to them. Brothers and sisters, I believe the same is true for us today. You know, if if you make $1,000 a month, whatever it is you decide to do, that's between you and God. Let's suppose you're making $1,000 a month and you decide to give God
1: $10 of that money. I believe that's fine.
0: Now, somebody earning, again, I'm making these numbers up, a brother or sister earning $10,000 a month should not be given $100. Because God has blessed you with more. You need to be given more in accordance with the way God has blessed you. That's what this scripture says. Number three, why should we give? We give so that the gospel will continue to spread. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17 says, The elders who direct the affairs of the church well, are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For Scripture says, "Do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain." And the worker deserves his wages. Again, back in New Testament times, the evangelists never really stayed in one place. Even as you read the Book of Acts, you will see Paul going around preaching planting churches, and sometimes they would stay a few months, sometimes they would stay a year, sometimes it would stay like three years. But they were constantly moving around. And as they constantly moved around, they appointed elders in those local congregations to take care of the flock and to oversee the flock. Now, Scripture tells us that they need to be elders. In other words, there, was, there need to be more than one. All right? That's, that's a, it's all in the scriptures. Now, fast forward, we now live in 21st century. We're no longer evangelists going around, preaching from town to town. And so now what we have is, for instance, in New York City, we have elders and we have evangelists in one place. My wife and I and Daisy serve, for example, as evangelists and women's ministry leaders for the Brooklyn ministry. John and Tiffany Rodeo Serve as evangelist and women's ministry leader for the ministry in Long Island. Our lead evangelist of our church, Sam Powell, serves in um, Westchester County. And so we have evangelists and women's ministry leaders and elders all over New York. The contribution we give every week goes to paying the staff so that we can pay our bills so that we can have a roof over our heads and so that we can feed our families. But you see, I've been doing this now on a full-time basis for 34 years and I'm very thankful for your generosity and the generosity of so many because I can't imagine preaching the gospel and working from nine to five. There is just so much to take care of. Believe it or not, Reaching, like I'm doing right now, is probably just 5% of ministry. That's all it is. Now, I spend a lot of time and a lot of hours preparing these lessons. But when you think about it, the speaking part of it is a very, very small portion. And that's why, you know, all of us in the full-time ministry at one point, we were told to to give up our our careers in the world. And we came and we're doing this on a full-time basis. And let me tell you this. You know, you, you don't go into the ministry and you're going to become a rich person. It's not going to happen, okay? Uh, And so we're we're not like prosperity preachers where, you know, these guys are living in, you know, fancy mansions and driving Rolls Royces and, you know, driving G-wagons all over the place. We are not that kind of a church, and I'm very thankful for that. But the reason why we give, part of our giving goes to paying the staff. Part of our giving goes to helping us to rent the places we rent. And I'm very thankful that in our fellowship of churches, we decided to put the money in individuals, Instead of a building. And that's the reason why we have all these churches around the world today. Because remember, brothers and sisters, when it's all said and done, I'm not saying there's something wrong in having a church building. But remember, at the end of time, all this stuff is going to burn up anyhow. And so, we as a brotherhood decided, you know what? We'd rather put the money in people. And we'd send them all over the world to go preach the gospel. And now... We, we, we we've done that and we continue to do that. We continue to plant new churches. But our money primarily goes so that the gospel can continue to spread. And so you ask the question, how to give? Number one, we need to give anonymously. Matthew six talks about that, that don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Number two, we need to give willingly and cheerfully. There's another passage in the New Testament where it talks about God loves a cheerful giver. Okay? Go read uh, Deuteronomy chapter 15 verse 10. It talks about the same thing. Willingly and cheerfully. As a matter of fact, I'm going to go ahead and read it. because So that you know that I'm not making this stuff up. Deuteronomy chapter 15 in verse 10. Deuteronomy 15 verse 10. It says, Give generously to him and do so without a grudging heart. Then because this, because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. There will always, excuse me, there will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed towards your brothers, towards the poor and needy in your land. Okay? The Bible always commands us to give cheerfully and willingly. Okay? When you and I give, you got to do it with an open hand. And it's very interesting because when you open up your hand, then God is able to put something else in there. Because you can't give like this with your, with your, with your, with your fist tight, tight like this. you got to open it up. And so when you and I give, we open up our hand, and that gives God the opportunity to now give back to us. Another thing we need to do in terms of how to give, number three, is sacrificial. That's what Luke 3 talks about. Again, I'm going to read it. Luke chapter 3, in verse 10. This is John the Baptist. When the Jews came to him, and they were being baptized in the Jordan. In John, excuse me, Luke chapter 3, verse 10. What should we do then? The crowd answered. John answered, the man with two tunics should share with, the, with him who has none. And the one who has food should do the same. He's talking about giving, but we need to give sacrificially. And then obviously, that's that passage I quoted. Um, I mentioned just now, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 3, where God loves a cheerful giver, that we shouldn't give reluctantly or under compulsion, but we just give it. But again, we give because God gave to us first. Number four, we're talking about how to give here. We need to give with a spirit of love. Again, First Corinthians chapter 13, we're very familiar with this passage. I know we like the, the portion where it talks about law, but before we go to that portion, in First Corinthians chapter 13, it says, "Please mute, mute your, uh, your, your, your mic, please." First Corinthians chapter 13, in verse three, it says, "If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames." But have not love, I gain nothing. And so we need when we give, we need to give with a spirit of love. All right. Number five, we need to set a goal to excel at giving. We need to set a goal to excel at giving. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a as my fact, Let me go ahead and read it. I'm here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, in verse 7. It says. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for others, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I like that. Giving is a grace, brothers and sisters. And the Bible commands us and calls us to excel in the grace of giving. Where you and I set a goal to excel In the grace of giving. And then finally, number six. I I believe that it begins with a tithe. Okay? That you and I can begin by tithing. Leviticus chapter 27. Leviticus 27. Leviticus
1: 27. Leviticus 27. In verse 30. It says, a tithe of everything. From the land. You can remember they were an agricultural society.
0: There's a tithe of everything from the land. Whether grain from the soil. Or fruit from the trees. Belongs to the Lord. It is holy. To the Lord. And then you, you can go ahead and read verse 31. Until and, and, and till the end. But it's, it's, the, it's the same idea. Brothers and sisters. You may ask. Why did God ask? What did God ask of his Old Testament children? He asked for a tithe of everything from the land. He says it it belongs to the Lord and it is holy to the Lord. He said, What's a tithe? A tithe is a tenth. And like I reminded us a few weeks ago, Abraham was the one that started the practice.
1: It was hundreds of years later
0: when they came out of captivity in Egypt and they were on their way to the promised land that God gave the law. And I said, oh, by the way, I want you to give me a tenth of your produce. But it was Abraham that started the practice. All right? Hundreds of years before the law was
1: given. You say, well, Richard, that's the Old Testament. Yes, that is true. It is the Old Testament.
0: But we do believe in the Old Testament. Okay? We do believe the entire Bible. As a matter of fact, in Malachi chapter 3, beginning verse 8, you and I are very familiar with this passage. It says, will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. Listen to what God is saying here. He says, you are under a curse. Your whole nation. Because you are robbing me. Verse 10. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. You can write this reference down in Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. Jesus validated the mandatory tithe even in small things. Matthew 23 23. Now, when I read the New Testament, brothers and sisters, every New Testament example of giving goes far beyond the tithe. Okay? Remember, the tithe is 10%. Every example I see in the New Testament goes far beyond the tithe. Okay? So the question then becomes, what does God expect of his New Testament children, which is who we are? Does he expect less from us as New Testament kids?
1: I don't think so. Early church fathers
0: like Origen, Jerome, and Augustine thought that the tithe was the minimum given requirement for Christians. The tithe is God's historical method To get us on the path of giving. Brothers and sisters. Tithing shouldn't be the ceiling. I see it as the floor. It's not the ceiling. It's the floor. Tithing is where we begin. Because that's what they used to do. Back in the Old Testament. And when I read the New Testament. God is saying. I want you to do more. I want you to be more sacrificial. And so. Tithing is not the ceiling. It's just the floor. It is not the finish line of giving. It's just the starting blocks. It's the beginning. Tithing needs to be the training wheels that launches you and me into giving generously. Again, obviously, we give in proportion with how God has blessed us. And we have a very generous church. We really do. And I want to commend you for that. And I want to commend us for that. Now we need to continue to continue to give and to continue to excel in this grace of giving. Many of us are diligent givers. Those of us that are occasional givers, those of us that don't
1: even tithe, you need to imitate the brothers
0: and sisters that are giving diligently and that are tithing. Again, I will never forget the conversation I had with a brother many years ago, not in this church, but well, the church that we were leading, and uh, he came up to me and says, "You know, Richard, man, I really want to tithe, but I can't afford to do it right now. I'm in mean, a lot of debt, and um, you know, when I when I when I finish paying my debt, then I'll start tithing. And I looked at him. I said, "Bro, you got it backwards. I don't see any of qualifiers when God says you need to pay your debtors first before you tithe. I I don't I don't see that in Scripture." And I looked at him. I said, "Brother, this is a faith issue. Now I'm not saying don't pay." your debts, but you need to continue to give God his offering. And he looked at me and says, you're right. And he started to give.
1: And obviously he got out of debt. And now he gives generously to the church. And so you
0: and I cannot rob God by paying man first. Remember, we're Christians. Everything we have belongs to the Almighty anyhow. I mean, God uses, this is very strong language in my opinion. He says, would you rob God? You know, if, 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 if you're waiting to get out of debt before you start tithing, it's as if you're saying, okay, I used to rob 10 grocery stores, but I walk my way down to just robbing three or four. It doesn't work that way. You repent. You stop robbing God. That's
1: what, it, that's what we're talking about here. Some say they can't afford to tithe. Look at it this way. If your income was reduced by 10%, would that kill you? I don't think so. You've
0: just admitted that you can afford to tithe. You simply don't want to. The point is not to rob God less. But the point is not to rob God at all. Remember, the 90% also belongs to him. And he, in his wisdom, says, you know what? Just give me 10% and you can live on the rest. I think God has been very generous to us. I've always thought over time, you know what? God could have easily said, give me 90% and you live on 10%. He could have easily have done that. But he says, you know what? It's tied and you can live on the rest. God says, test me in this. Brothers and sisters, it's a faith issue.
1: Again, I've seen this principle work so much in so many lives. We have a lot of generous people in our church. We really do. And I'm not going to mention
0: anybody's name. You know who you are. May God continue to bless you in your giving. Because it never seems to amaze me. The more these brothers and sisters give, the more God just gives to them because he knows they're going to give it away. They're going to use it to help other people. That's what it's all about. And so God is saying, test me. And you watch that. If I'm not going to open up the floodgates of heaven. I don't know about you. I love, I love for God to open up the floodgates so that I can use it to be a blessing to the lives of so many. That's what we're talking about. Again, Second Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7 says, We need to excel in the grace of giving. I want to thank us for our generosity over the years to the kingdom of God because of your generosity. The disciples all over this world. For us in New York City, you know, a lot of our special contribution, and missions contribution went to Africa. Because of your generosity, there are now over 13,000 disciples on that continent.
1: In tons of countries. There are
0: people going to heaven as a result of your giving. Yes, you may think it's just $10 or $2 or $5. People are going to heaven as a result of it. And you're going to get to meet them one of these days on the other side. That's what we're talking about. And that's why we need to continue to excel in the grace of giving. Now, it doesn't mean that you and I just sit around and, yes, okay, and allow, and allow other people to take care of us. The Bible, the same Bible that talks about giving also talks about the fact that if you don't walk, you shouldn't be eating. Okay? So get to work. But you see, God calls us to give. And here are some examples of generous givers in the Bible. Abraham, at that time was called Abram in Genesis 14. He gave a tenth
1: to Melchizedek, the priest of Salem.
0: Another great example was the poor widow. You know the story in Luke 21, when Jesus sat there and he's watching people putting money in, in the whatever, and he noticed the poor widow because she put in two small copper coins and that was all she had. Remember, she was a widow, which meant her husband was dead. He probably didn't have any kids. And that woman gave by faith everything she had to live on. I don't believe that widow lacked anything from that point on. Because I believe God put that story in the Bible so that you and I can decide, you know what, we're going to trust God. Because that's what she did by giving everything she had to live on. It's a faith issue. The early church was also very generous. We read the story in Acts chapter 2, verses 44 to 45, where it says there was no needy persons amongst them. Another great example in the scriptures in the New Testament is Barnabas. His name means son of encouragement in Acts chapter 4. And obviously, another great example in scriptures is the Macedonian churches. They were known for their generosity. Second Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 5. So, brothers and sisters, giving is all about the scriptures, and my prayer through everything we're talking about right now and the last few weeks, and I'll wrap it up next week, is that we become diligent and generous givers, because I've invested my life, I've invested everything I have in the kingdom of God. I don't have any, I don't have any chips outside. It's all in here because I know that this kingdom is going to last forever. And that's why it tells us that we need to pay it on ahead because we, you are going to see the impact of your giving and your generosity towards the kingdom of God not too long from now, when you and I cross over. The late Blake Graham used to say, if a person gets his attitude toward money straight, it will help straighten out almost every other area of his life. I'm gonna read that again. It says, if a person gets his attitude toward money straight, it will help straighten out almost every other area of his life. I'm really excited because this Sunday, you know, our young marriage class, this is what I'm gonna be talking about. And I want you to come ready because I'm gonna give you a lot of practical stuff. Stuff that you know, a financial advisor would, would charge you money for and all that. I'm going to be giving you this for free. That's what I've been doing in 34 years of doing this because this was what I studied, okay? And so come ready. We're going to start promptly at 9.30. Don't be late. You know me. I'm a, I'm a stickler for time. I'm going to start at 9.30, okay? But you don't want to miss this. It's going to be very, very practical in terms of how to build a great financial foundation. Brown sisters, I promise you, if you put what I'm going to be talking about into practice on Sunday morning as young couples. You're not going to have to worry about money when you turn 65 or 60 or even 55. Okay? And so I'm going to wait till Sunday. And so I'll see you guys on there. It's going Like I said, it's going to be a ton of practical stuff and we'll start on time. Brothers and sisters, what is my prayer? I want us to start praying this. Lord, Help me to be a better steward of your blessings. Give me a generous heart and help me to give like you give daily. Start praying this prayer and you watch what the Almighty God does. Principle number four giving is the only antidote for materialism. You and I came into this world with nothing, and we're going to live with nothing. The truth is all this stuff that we are acquiring and we've accumulated is ended up for a huge bonfire someday. And that's why God tells us to store our treasures on the other side. I hope this has been encouraging. I hope this has been helpful. Again, I encourage you to go uh, listen to this again and even the past lessons and cross-reference all these passages. The Bible talks a lot about money. And uh, it's time for you and I to, to take it to the next level and to keep on honoring God with our wealth. Uh, I'm going to ask our sister Imani, if you can please unmute yourself, lead us in a word of prayer. And after that, our prince is going to put us in breakout rooms. Let us have a tremendous time of fellowship. Thank you so much for listening. God bless you all.
1: Thank you, Rich